Genesis chapter 26 and verses 1 to 23 and pages 20 to 21 in your Bibles. Okay, it's titled Isaac and Abimelech. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the, pre- previous, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac opened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarrelled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarrelled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He worked on from there and dug another well, and no one quarrelled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar 
with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you, so we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. Early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba, and, in this, and to this day the name of the town has been Beersheba. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jan. Please keep those Bibles open before you, and I'll make sure that what I'm speaking on matches God's word, and we're going to be referring to bits of it along the way here in Genesis 26. You'll also find an outline we'll be following along with there that will match all the screens and things that come up here. I'll show you where we're up to, what's coming next, and yes, when it will end. also tells you that. And let's pray. Our Father, thank you that you're our God and that you do speak into our circumstances. We pray, just as you addressed Isaac, you'll address us today. Uh, that we'll, we'll have ears for your word, that we will stop and draw deeply from the wells of salvation, the living water that is your word mediated to us through Christ by your spirit. Would you do that in us and teach us great things from you, we ask in Jesus' precious name and for his glory amongst us. Amen. Well, who's in charge of your life? Who is in charge of your life and how does that show up in all moments, in all the day-to-day grindy bits and in the standout big one-off moments of good and bad, in the desires you chase and the ways that you rest? Who's in charge of your life and how does that show up? How is it displayed? Well, today's passage, as Jan has read it to us, Uh, gives us a window into uh, the life of Isaac over the course of some 50 years where he gradually, bit by bit, learned to live with God in charge and it did not come easy for Isaac and it didn't come quickly. If it wasn't Isaac's own fears and jealousies that gave him grief, it was the grief that came from the fears and jealousies of others. And we shouldn't forget the testing grief of living during a famine. Who's in charge of Isaac's life? How did that show up? Well, we see how that gradually changes over these decades here in three scenes that occur in three separate places, which each mark growth, specific tangible growth in Isaac's character. And not only do we witness Isaac's personal growth over these years in these places, we also discover and find and now at last know what's so significant about this birthright. What does it contain? What does it have within it that this birthright Jacob loved but Esau despised? And so it begins. Verse 1, there was a famine in the land 
besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And what do we do if there's no food and no water and nothing in the supermarkets? Well, we pack up our belongings and move. That's what we do, don't we? And famine in that part of the ancient world, the only safe place to go to travel to is Egypt. Because of the Nile River Delta, there's always food and water there, even in a famine. And to get to Egypt, if we're travelling from where Isaac was at that time along the route, the very last city in the uh, area of Canaan is Gerar of the Philistines, ruled by Abimelech at that time. And if you're wondering where that is in the world, southern Gaza. That's where we are. And just let that sit on you as we go through this passage. And it's in Gerar that Isaac paused briefly before making the final stretch to Egypt, just as his father Abraham had done precisely the same in the earlier famine that also you know, caused him to try his luck in Egypt. And it's here in this layover in the city of Gerar that God revealed that he has different plans for Isaac than Isaac has for himself. Has that ever happened to you in your life? That you, know, you had plans for yourself that God doesn't agree with? Happens, doesn't it? Have you had plans for safety and yet God brought you into a time of danger? Have you had plans for abundance and yet God has put you in the path of poverty? Plans for avoiding natural disasters and God makes sure that you live in the midst of them? None of us are truly in charge or in control, are we? But he is. He's sovereign. He places us where he does and where you are, where we are right now is where he wants us to be. Not necessarily forever, certainly not, and not even necessarily for a long time. We should never assume that. However, we can be sure that if God is going to place us in harm's way, it is to shape us in ways that we would never choose for ourselves. To be humbled and shaped. And if that's what he's set up, then that's indeed what will happen. And most amazing about Isaac here is he willingly accepts this plan of God, this very risky plan of God. God says, stay here in this land, and verse 6 we read, so Isaac stayed in Gerar. Incredible. We all that good at accepting God's commands? <laughs> Against all visible evidence that that's a good idea? God says, stay. What could make him so willingly uh, be so willing to throw away his safety, the guaranteed safety going to Egypt? What could make him choose to forgo security for himself and his family? Has he gone mad? Well, no, this is what it looks like when God's people choose to listen to God as opposed to doing what they see with their eyes. This is what obedience to the Lord's word looks like, God's instruction. This is what it looks like. It's not blind faith like some leap in the dark, though. No, no, no. Isaac was believing and trusting in the promises of God that are recorded there in verses 2 to 5. So we've got the command at first. The Lord appeared to Isaac and he said, do not go down to Egypt. There's a command. Live in this land where I tell you to live. That's the command bit. Stay here and I'll be with you and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, 
keeping my commands, my decrees and my instructions. Not bad, eh? We would all appreciate a bit of you know, specific direction from the Lord like that, packed with blessing. Anyone want to sign up for a bit of that? It's not bad, is it? And Isaac was not slow in obedience. And it, we've got to remember it's also not the first time that Isaac has heard these promises personally. Uh, this is the same God who would promise these same things to his father Abraham, recorded in chapter 22 of Genesis, when Isaac was 13 and they're together on Mount Moriah. He's heard this before. He's heard God's voice before speaking these things. But this time, he's not a, God's not addressing Abraham with Isaac nearby. No, this time he's speaking directly to Isaac, reaffirming those exact same promises. The sense here being that if, if, if Isaac obeys God and doesn't go to Egypt in this famine but stays in these promised lands, then God will be with him and will bless him with descendants uh, and he'll be given these lands. And that's all going to be in confirmation of the oath that God originally swore to Abraham. Okay, now it, it's, a, it's a new statement of this, it's a restatement of this, but it's not a new promise. The content is the same as God has been promising all along. Look at verse 4. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, sound familiar, Genesis 15, and will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed, Genesis 12. Descendants, land, blessing. Descendants, land, blessing. Four times God had promised these specific three explicit things to Abraham, land, descendants and blessing. And while the emphasis here is still on God confirming those promises because of Abraham's responsive obedience, all the same, God's now offering these promises to Isaac to become his birthright now also, if he will trust and obey like Abraham did. And that's the test. Will he trust and obey? And we read verse 6, so Isaac remained. The faith and obedience, they go hand in hand. Or in the book of Romans, the obedience of faith. They are absolutely hand in hand in the Bible. That's how it worked with Abraham and that's how it worked with Isaac. That's how it still works with you and I today. Who's in charge of your life? How does it show up? Well, it shows up in who we trust and obey. And at this moment for Isaac, well, there's no doubt who's in charge of him. And yet, mixed in, all mixed in there with Isaac's trust in God was his crippling fear of man. His crippling fear of man. Fearful of his life because of Rebecca's great beauty and married men. We all know how that feels, don't we? That's a free kick for you, fellas. You really could have done something with that. Oh, my goodness. What have I got to do? Okay, all right. That's what it's like for me. If not for you. Uh, <laughs> in fearful of his life because of his Isaac repeated the sin of his father Abraham, who had likewise disowned his beautiful wife also before a king in his land, Abimelech. And gee, it's easy to despise them in this moment, isn't it? Here's the ultimate husband failure. Uh, just like Abraham with Sarah and just like Adam with Eve, Isaac failed to sacrifice himself to protect and guard and sanctify his beloved. And if that's not bad enough, fear of man leads to more than just husband failure, doesn't it? Think of the Apostle Peter in the high court 
sorry, in the court of the high priest when he feared for himself and denied his relationship with Jesus. And gee, in that moment, it's so easy to despise him, isn't it? Their weakness, their cowardice, their self-centeredness. But rather than despise them, oh, no, let's learn to despise that fear of man. That fear of man when we find it in ourselves. Don't despise ourselves, no, despise that fear and run from it. Christians, any fear which overcomes our faith and leads us into sin should be despised. Uh, the fear of man is a, it's an enormous stumbling block in our walk with God. We've got to recognise it. We need to resist it and repent of it when we fall to it, lest we eventually disown Jesus and think nothing of it. And tragically, beyond the damage fear of man causes in our relationship with God and beyond the damage it causes in our relationships with one another, consider also the enormous damage that it causes to our witness before unbelievers. Remember, God has just said to Isaac that through his offspring, all nations will be blessed and that his first opportunity to bless the people around him with honesty and integrity, Isaac lied. He lied. And he was caught in his lies by this Philistine king who was rightly revolted by Isaac's sin and terrified of it. Friends, what we have here is one of those necessary but dreadful moments we find in the Bible when the world rebukes the church and does so very accurately. How can we call the world to honour our God when we don't? How, how can we tell lies to their faces and then wonder why they don't accept us or respect us or follow the Lord in the way we wish they would. God's people are called to be a blessing to the nations and yet here because of lies, Isaac's nothing but trouble for the local people around him. Members of Bulli Anglican Church or whatever church you're a member of and you're visiting with us today, if you're watching us online, this is a timely remember for all Christians. Our Fear of man that leads to sin demolishes, demolishes our public witness every time. And what does God do? Grace upon grace in response. And we can praise God here in this passage for his providential intervention because God made sure Isaac was found out. God made sure of it. And he made sure it was by the one man who would not exact revenge on Isaac and it was by the one man who could actually remove Isaac's fear of the Philistines by issuing these personal orders for Isaac's protection. Now, the mercy of God in his providence is shown here at every turn, isn't it? And we can see that Isaac learns this valuable lesson because he doesn't run away, no, he stays. And in fact, verse 12, having been now assured of Abimelech's protection and security, Isaac did what no fearful shepherd ever does. In fact, what no shepherd ever does. Isaac said, oh, let's have a go at farming. Farming? Are you crazy? It's a famine. So how does his farming go? Shepherd farming 
in a famine. Oh, what do we read? Because the Lord blessed him in that same year, he reaped a hundredfold what was sown in a famine. And what we are seeing, of course, is that God fulfills his promise. He promised to bless him. And so needy Isaac, over the course of a number of years here becomes wealthy Isaac and he ends up with so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him and began to now act against him to restrict him filling up Abraham's old wells with earth and King Abimelech wakes up to this over however many seasons this occurs we don't know but eventually wakes up to it and that he can no longer protect Isaac from his people's envy and so verse 16 he sent Isaac away from the city of Gerar that's a strange thing to do when it's the one person who's producing food at that kind of level. It's a very strange thing to do to send away someone who is so abundantly blessed and who could continue overflowing that blessing to them all. But it's what happens when envy and fear is the atmosphere and it's actually envy and fear that surrounds anyone who is abnormally blessed by God. Remember Jesus? Consider the fear and envy that surrounded him that ended in persecution to crucifixion. Indeed, unless God intervenes to bring these two back together, these people back together, well then, the dividing wall of separation and hostility is, is the way it's going to stay. And so let's see what God does in the Valley of Gerar, verses 17 to 22. Although remember now, it's not just Isaac and Rebekah wandering off together in the sunset. No, their company is now the size of, you know, it's now the size of a small city. This is roughly what's travelling along now. For Isaac to rival Abimelech in power, he must have had serious numbers with him. And Isaac now discovers the, well, the problem that enormous worldly wealth causes enormous worldly problems. Beware of coveting wealth, because enormous worldly wealth creates enormous worldly problems. It's a famine, remember. So how is he going to feed and sustain his herds and his flocks and his people away from the city and away from his fields? And he's between a rock and a hard place now, isn't he? Abimelech has been sent him away from Gerar and God has told him, don't go to Egypt. So what's he going to do? Well, he follows now in the footsteps of his father Abraham into the valley of Gerar where he now sets about reopening the wells that had been dug in Abraham's time and Isaac affirmed his inheritance of them and connection with Abraham in faith by using the same names Abraham had used. Yet needing a whole lot more water than this, Isaac's servants dug in the valley of Gerar and miraculously they found the most valuable water than anyone can find, especially in a famine. Fresh water. They found, well in Hebrew, living water. Not just seeping up from the ground, they found an underground stream that would not go dry. Oh, surely now they're going to be safe here. But no, 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 the herdsmen of Gerar disputed the find, claimed the water for themselves. So seeking peace, Isaac moved again and dug again and found water again and there's grief again with the local herdsmen. As they opposed him and claimed that well also, so he moved again and he dug again and found water again and this time there was no grief. And so Isaac surmised that arrived in a place where God would have them live at last and he says in verse 22, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. 
He's grown, hasn't he? He's grown over these many years in humility and having learned how to be honest and gracious and peace-loving, having shown resilience and faithfulness in these times of testing, having grown into the man God called him to be, at the start of the chapter, our passage now takes us to our final location where a covenant will be struck and blessings will be confirmed. Verse 23. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent and there his servants dug a well. Now, we're not told why Isaac went to Beersheba, but most important to note is that it was further away from Gerar and deeper into the land, and therefore demonstrating his humble trust in the Lord, rather than staging a potential act of aggression against Abimelech, which he could have done, or fleeing to Egypt, which he also could have done. And with this final move of faith, God gave Isaac full assurance that he was the rightful son of Abraham and that the blessing attached to his birthright was now entirely his, confirmed. Did you notice it back in verse 3? God said, I will be with you. It was a promise. And now, the other side of decades of testing and faithfulness, verse 24, God says, I am with you. I am. There is to be no more tests of obedience for Isaac, for him to walk with the Lord. He's proved faithful. God's presence is with him and God's blessings will continue to increase. And most important of all, the thing that he's missing is that God will now declare the increase of the number of Isaac's descendants. He's going to be a father. And he has now amassed the most amazing birthright and blessing to pass on, which includes peace with the Philistines of Gerar. What a birthright. A birthright is attached to astounding blessings for Isaac to bestow. And his response was not casual, is it? No, his response is the only right response of the true people of God who have relationship with him. His response is to worship. He built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Not an altar from his father's time. No, Isaac worshipped God in his own right. He owned this for himself. He called on the name of the Lord in personal relationship. He no longer presumed upon the Lord or lived in his father's shadow. He called. And we know from the prophet Joel and the apostle Paul in the New Testament, this call is the ultimate expression of faith in God, a call that God delights to answer. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is where that begins. What a moment of worship and wonder. What a moment of peace at last. But uh uh-oh, oh no, who's that coming over the horizon? Who's those guys coming? What's that dust cloud all about coming in? Is that? No, it couldn't be. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, no, here comes Abimelech from Gerar. And who's he got with him? The two most important men of his court. We have Ahuzeth, his 
personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his armed forces. So if you're going to move the king, the head of the household and the head of the army, what's come with them? The army's got to be just back there a few minutes behind, right? They're not coming by themselves. What kind of a visit is this? Is it, is it hostile? Is it peaceful? Well, Isaac doesn't wait and doesn't jump to conclusions. He's faith-filled now enough not to fear him. Remember that fear of man thing? He doesn't show it here. Instead, he asks them this open, honest question, verse 27. Why have you come to me? Why have you come since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And their answer is to sue for peace. And they seek to diffuse the past. They bit a bit of a retell, don't they? They disown all the conflicts and they even claim credit for his wealth because they're the ones who sent him away. They deserve the credit for what the Lord has blessed him with, right? Yeah, sure. Sure thing. What will Isaac do? He knows they're speaking lies. He doesn't need their treaty. He has the Lord. He doesn't need their peace. He is now way more powerful than they. He doesn't need their land. He doesn't need their friendship. They need his. It's a complete reversal of fortunes. He could take advantage of them in a second. And yet Isaac trusts the Lord. He's become a man of peace, the Lord's man. And his wisdom shown here will be picked up in the Proverbs later on, chapter 16 of the Proverbs. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes his enemies live at peace with him. And here they are, Isaac's enemies asking for peace. And Isaac, the man of peace, what does he do? He doesn't throw it in their face. No, he throws them a feast and he swears oaths with them. And Isaac takes the enormous risk of loving his enemy and they leave in peace. Isn't that amazing? What we're seeing in this moment, we're seeing prefigured here the prophecies of Isaiah and Zechariah that one day the nations will come streaming into God's people to seek their blessing. Here is God's promise to Abraham that through, all, through his offspring, all nations would be blessed. And in this moment, Isaac prefigures Christ who brought peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. And even more gracious, even more gracious than Isaac, who merely overlooked their sin, now Jesus reconciling death deals with our sin completely in himself and he sets us free. Through faith in Jesus, the glorious promises of abundant, overflowing grace and peace from Abraham to Isaac overflows and it continues to overflow because God is sovereign and overflows to you and me who've put our faith in the Lord Jesus and, well, to those around us in the northern Illawarra here. It's just as Peter told the temple guards there, those who gathered in, in Acts chapter 3, God has sent Christ to us first so that when we turn from our wicked ways, when we turn away from our fear of man, when we turn from our lies, when we turn from our deceit, when we turn from our self-protection, when we turn from self-rule, when we put Jesus in charge above us, well, then all people on earth are blessed. Friends, the hope of the nations, the hope of Israel and Gaza, the hope of all places right now, isn't the United Nations. No, the hope of the nations is peace with God. Peace with God that is brokered 
through God's people standing firm like Isaac did on the promises of God, feasting the nations on Christ, feeding them with him and inviting them to drink at his well of living water forevermore. Oh, it's risky. It's a a risk to have hostile people nearby. It's a risk to welcome them in. It's always a risk, but we mustn't fear people. We see this now, don't we? For with God in charge, we can trust him to deliver on his promises and reinforce his blessings. And indeed, that's how the chapter finishes, doesn't it? Verse 32. No sooner had Abimelech left him in peace than Isaac's servants told him, they rock up and they tell him about the new well they've dug. They've found water again, water at Beersheba. Isaac, secure at last, safe from his enemies, in step with the Lord. He can now settle down and raise his descendants, these beautiful boys that are about to be born, to share and have this birthright with all its wonderful blessings. Friends, in our lives, there's going to be flourishing and there's going to be grief. There's times of both. There's seasons of both. And whether it's big moments or small, whether it's long moments or short whether it's seasons of poverty or seasons of wealth, in the nitty-gritty and in the grind, the question is the same for us. Who's in charge of your life? Who's in charge of your life and how does that show up? How do you want it to show up? Well, Isaac's character growth here over decades points the way forward for all of us in the decades to come for each of us however many the Lord gives us, to replace our fear of man with trust in God and allow that to show itself through our actions. Because blessed are the merciful, said Jesus, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So says the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for what you lay out in the scriptures for us that shows us so much. Oh, but we need your help. We need the assurance of your kindness to us. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to seek us as you sought out Isaac to seek and save us as you did for him, we thank you. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise that you're with us always to the end of the age as we carry forth your message of peace to all nations. Oh, help us to combine faith with obedience and delight in you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.